Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Righteousness. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. I'd like to share with you about righteousness, or who we've been made in Christ Jesus. And this is one of the very most important fundamental subjects in the entire Word of God. It is a basis of everything else that you're going to receive from God. And I can say by my own life, by my own testimony, that the Lord used this teaching of righteousness, or who I was, in Christ Jesus to completely transform my life. This is what opened up the Word of God to me. It's what began to give me boldness. There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, that says that the righteous shall be bold as a lion. And immediately, when you begin to understand your right standing, and that's what I mean by saying the word righteousness, Righteousness is just simply our rights or our right standing with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When you begin to understand that and who he's made you through Christ Jesus, it'll produce boldness and authority and power within you. But the Christians have suffered because Satan has blinded us to who we are. Many Christians have an impression that all we are is a... We have just had a debt paid in principle, and it doesn't really profit us until we die and go to be with the Lord in heaven. But that's not true. Right now we are changed. Right now we are new people. I want to start off, first of all, in ministering this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And this scripture right here shows that our salvation is not something that just begins when we die and go to be with the Lord in heaven. Right now, if you are in Christ Jesus, which is talking about salvation, if you are saved, if any man is saved, he is, not is going to be, but he is a new creature. All things have passed away, all things have become new. And when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you become a new person. You become an entire different being. And praise God, you are not the same old person that you were before. Now, before we get any further into this, I'm going to have to say some things and explain something so you'll be able to understand everything else that we minister about. This part of us that has been saved is not talking about your body. Your body has not been saved. It has the promise of being saved. It's already been atoned for. The purchase has been made, but it has not been redeemed. And this is a scriptural term. I don't have time to go into all of this, but from Ephesians chapter 1... And Romans chapter 8, you can see these phrases if you'll go study it out. That our body is the re it's a purchase possession, but it's not redeemed. It's like trading stamps. When you get a trading stamp, you, aren't, you don't actually have the thing that you want. You just have, that shows that you've made a purchase and you have to go and redeem those trading stamps to get what you want. Well, our bodies have been purchased. There is evidence of it. We can stand on health and prosperity and we can have this body. There's no reason that Satan has to dominate it, but it is not changed yet. It is not the glorified body that we're going to have. It is not completely saved from this world system. And neither is our mind. The Bible talks about that we have to renew our mind. The Bible talks about a lot of things involving our emotions, how we have to bring them under control. The part of us that is completely saved at this moment is our spirit. And this is another term that is verified all the way through Scripture. It talks about the inner man, that we might got to put on our inner man, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. And so our inner man is the part of us that's saved. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 is talking about. When it says, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things become new. That's talking about in your spiritual man. 
Your physical body, if you were fat before you got saved, you're fat after you get saved. That does not change automatically unless you change it through believing God, through dieting or through whatever. But your body is not immediately changed. Your soul is not immediately changed. Your thinking is still much the same. You can change it. God wants you to change it, but it doesn't happen automatically. But in our spirit, there are many scriptures verify this in Romans chapter 6 and many other places, that in your spirit... Your old man is dead. It passes away, and you have become a new man in your spirit. You've received a new spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You receive a new born-again spirit, and it comes to live on the inside of you, and in your spirit you are a brand-new creature. Now, as we begin to talk about righteousness and who you are in Christ Jesus, you've got to understand this difference that I've just explained about spirit, soul, and body. It is your spirit that is righteous. It is your spirit that is in right standing with God. It is your spirit that is completely saved. The rest of you is still waiting on the complete salvation. Now, we can receive the effects of our salvation in our spirit into our body and into our soul as much as we'll believe for it. But it is not automatic, and it will not be complete until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. So you've got to understand that. When I'm talking about being righteous, I may still make mistakes in my physical body. I may not in my physical body be living up to things, but my spiritual man is righteous. Now that's what I want to get into and establish. The reason this is important, if you'll stick with me, first of all, we're going to establish from the scriptures what the Lord has to say about us being made righteous and then we're going to get into reasons about why this is important and I promise you this is very important it is one of the most important things in the word so you pay attention to this and let it sink down into your heart it will counter much 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 religious teaching and doctrines of man that Satan has been using to bind us up so from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away, all things have become new. Well, if we're a new creature, we've got to begin to think and act like a new creature. You can't continue to act the old ways. Jesus himself said this, that no man can put new wine into old wineskins unless the bottles be broke and the wine runs out and they're both spoiled. But new wine has to be put into a new wineskin. He's talking about the new birth. He's simply saying that if you are a born-again creature, according to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you are not the same person, if you are a new creature, if all things have passed away, all things have become new, well, then you've got to begin to think of yourself. Act like. Put this new life in a new mind, in a new body. You've got to begin to renew yourself. You can't continue to operate the way you did before you got saved and expect the new life that you've got to work. It won't work that way. Our new man is not the same as the old man that lived in us. It is a new man. It is, it is different, and it is supernatural. It is powerful, and if we try and bind it and put it in the old lifestyle, it just won't work that way. We've got to put a new life in a new lifestyle. And praise God, this is important for you to see. Many of us have always heard this expression about, oh, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. Well, now that sounds good, but it's not scriptural. I am not a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. I was a dirty, rotten sinner, and I have been saved by grace. So therefore, I'm not a dirty, rotten sinner anymore. I may still make mistakes. I may still sin. But there's a difference between having a sin or committing a sin and being a sinner. A sinner is under the wrath and under the judgment of God. It is separated from God. There is a judgment and a punishment on that sin. The Bible says that you're 
my ear is not uh, heavy that it cannot hear, nor my hand short that it cannot say, but your iniquities have separated between you and God. And that's the position that a sinner is in, separated from God because of his sin. A believer, even though he may commit sin, is not a sinner, and he is no longer separated from God, even though there may, he may commit sin. Because of this very principle that we're talking about, in our spirit, I've been made the righteousness of God. And Jesus said in John chapter 4 that those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, not in the flesh, not according to whether you've sinned or haven't sinned. That's the reason so many people are up one day and down the next is because they are basing their relationship with God on whether they've sinned or whether they haven't sinned, on whether they've done enough of this or enough of that or whether they haven't done enough. If they feel like they've done enough, then they're sitting there and they have boldness and they're shouting the victory and praising God and rejoicing. But if they don't feel like everything's gone right, then they sit there and get into discouragement and despair and beating themselves down and come under condemnation. Well, that's worshiping God in the flesh. And he said that we can't worship him that way. We've got to worship him in our spirit. Our spirit is a new creation. And we can come even when we've blown it, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We can come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when? In a time of need, not just when the blessings are rolling, but in the time of need. If you'll learn who you are in Christ Jesus and start abiding in your spiritual man, the spiritual part, and start worshiping God according to who you are in the spirit, not according to who you are in the flesh, you'll find a consistency. You'll find a level, an evil plane of spiritual growth where even when you made mistakes, when you're discouraged and beat down, you can come before God rejoicing and standing there in victory and power and seeing miracles happen. And praise God, if you're wanting an abiding life in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must learn this truth that we're talking about. If you'll skip on down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to verse 21. Now here is an amazing fact. It says, For he hath made him, now this is speaking of God the Father, hath made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, most people, most Christians have accepted the first part of this verse, that Jesus became sin for us. And they talk about, oh, Jesus for our sins. Well, that's true, and that is good. But if you're going to accept the first part of that verse, you must accept the second part of that verse. You must accept it. You can't split it up. And this has been the problem. So-called Christianity, the religious realm, has preached, oh, Jesus bore your sins. Many of you have gotten saved believing that, but then after you get saved, they still, they don't teach you the other part. The reason he bore your sins, it says, was for this purpose, that, he, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's true that we need to teach that sin has separated us from God. But when you come to God and when you get saved and when you get born again and changed, you must, you must begin to believe the second part of this verse, that you have been made in right standing with God. You are no longer separated. You are no longer a dirty, rotten sinner. You are a new creature, creation. You are able to fellowship with God freely. You're able to come boldly before the throne of grace. You have certain rights and privileges. You are no longer separated from God, but you are a supernatural being. You're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that's what that scripture is saying. If you're going to believe that Jesus became sin for us, you must. You must believe that he also accomplished what that sin, why, why he became sin for us. He, you must believe he accomplished the purpose that he had in mind when he did that, and that was so that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now somebody would say, say, well, I believe that that's going to happen, but that has not happened yet. It is not yet a reality. That is going to take place when we go to be with the Lord in heaven. We are just ungodly and unworthy and we're so undone down here. Well, again, if they're talking that way, they're talking of who they are in their physical person. They are not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Our spirit is not ungodly and it is not undone. Right now, our spirit has become the righteousness of God. I want to verify that. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Ephesians 4, 24 says, Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, the new man is a scriptural term used many places in the New Testament speaking of our born-again spirit. Our born-again spirit, the Bible says, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, praise God, that is not talking about something that is going to take place. Right now, I have a new man within me. Right now, I have received the Spirit of Christ. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you claim salvation, if you are born again, you must, you must have the Spirit of Christ or you are not any of His. It didn't say that you must get it later on when you die and go to be with the Lord. No, it has to happen right now. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then you are none of His. And if you do have the Spirit of Christ, that new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Praise the Lord. That is talking about something that has happened right now. Now, our physical body has not yet manifested true righteousness. I don't care who you are, you're still making mistakes. But in your spirit, you have been made righteous. Now some people will find what I'm saying very, very hard to understand and to receive because they have never made a separation between their spiritual person and their physical person. But you've got to begin to do that. You're always going to make mistakes in your physical person. And if you aren't able to rest in who Jesus has made you, in your spiritual man, then you'll never uh, reach a place of constant victory. You'll be up and down and condemned one day and going good and down and discouraged, all of these kind of things. We have to worship God in spirit. You've got to begin to sit there and say, Lord, even though I've messed it, up, even though I've blown it, even though I failed you, praise God, I know that through Christ Jesus in my spirit, I have a perfect relationship with you, that I am cleansed, that I am holy, that I have been made in righteousness and true holiness. You've got to begin to see that. You must begin to discern the difference that there is a spiritual man on the inside of you and then there is a physical man. This physical man has to be brought into subjection. It must be taught to obey what's in the spirit. Now, this is the reason what we're teaching is so important because how are you going to teach your physical man, your mind, to obey what you are in the Spirit if you don't know what you are? If you are still going around saying, oh, I'm just so undone and I'm so unworthy and oh, God, we just are so ungodly and we have no right to come before you today. Well, that sounds religious, but it's wrong. You do have a right. In your spiritual man, you're a new creature. And Romans chapter 8 says that this new creature has joint heirship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are joint heirs with Him. Praise God. And you need to see who you are. You need to begin to teach your old man. And when you feel bad and when you feel unworthy and when you've blown it, when you've made mistakes and you feel like running from God, you need to bring your, your physical man into subjection and say, No, sir. I'm not worshiping God according to who I am. I'm trusting in the mercy of God. I believe that He gave me a new spirit, that in my spirit I'm the righteousness of God, and I'm coming boldly before God, not through who I am in my flesh. 
but because of who Jesus is and because he has made me a new creature that I have certain rights, right standing, righteousness with God. You must be able to believe that. Another scripture is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Praise God. That's speaking about Jesus. As Jesus is right this moment, and how is Jesus? Well, he's alive and doing well, and he's prospering, and he's joyous, and he's holy, and he's righteous, and he's pure, and he's king of kings and lord of lords. As he is, so are we. Now, that didn't say, so are we going to be. It says, so are we in this world. Now, how can you understand that? Your body hasn't attained unto it. And if you go look in a mirror and say, now, wait a minute, I don't understand what you're saying. I look at myself and I see mistakes and I see problems and I see inferiority and I see weaknesses and problems. If you look at your physical man, you'll never be able to attain unto this. But in our spirit, as he is, so are we in this world. Praise God, our spirit is as Jesus is. It is the same spirit. Romans 8 and 9, again I use that scripture, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, our new born again person that lives on the inside of us is not a spirit that just came from God, but it is the spirit of his son. Romans 8 and 9 says that. Also in Galatians chapter 4, it says that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Our new born again man, our new born again spirit is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ask me how that happened, but that's what the Scripture says. I, that's the reason that I can sit there and say, as he is, so am I. Because when I accepted him, he imparted his life unto me. Praise God. The same way as he breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. Why did God do it? Did Adam deserve it? Not just the love of God. But when God breathed into him, he actually breathed into him himself. He breathed into him the breath of life. And Adam became made in the image of of God, not his physical body, but his spirit. It had the very life of God on the inside of it. When you get born again, God breathes back into you the supernatural life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of Jesus is imparted unto you. You have the spirit of Jesus, I have the spirit of Jesus, and yet Jesus, seated at the right hand of God the Father, is all there. He's not incomplete. That's one of the great mysteries of the gospel, how he could be all there, and yet all on the inside of me and all on the inside of you. How we can all have the fullness of him. John 1, 16 says that of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. I have the fullness of God. You have the fullness of God. Many thousands of people have the fullness of God and yet God isn't any less seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's still all there. How you can give away your fullness to somebody else and still be full, I don't know. That's just one of the attributes of God. But that is what's happened in our spirit. Our spirit has been made perfect and it has been made holy. Praise God. Now, our spiritual man is that way. Our physical man has not yet attained them to this. This is the Christian life, is learning how to submit your physical person to what's happened in your spirit, how to teach it to operate that way. Praise the Lord. Now, somebody might say, well, now, if I've got that spiritual life on the inside of me, how come it doesn't show up? How come I'm still living in defeat? How come I feel so discouraged? How come I'm defeated? Well, the reason for it is very simple. It's right along with what we're talking about, that our spirit is the part that received this life. It's the part that's completely changed. 
and our physical body and our mind are not changed. Now, they can be influenced by it. The Bible says that we can renew our mind. We can reteach it, reprogram it, and you can begin to receive this life, but that doesn't happen automatically. That has to be released. It has to be acted upon. You have to, in effect, start teaching and training your mind and your body how to act and receive what's in your spirit. And if we don't teach it, if we do not take the Word of God and renew ourselves with it, then this body will continue to feel and act and talk in the unbelief and the devil system that we were brought up under, even though the life of God lives on the inside of us. Now, an example of what I'm talking about is that God made our minds similar to a computer. By saying that, I mean that he, you can teach your mind to do certain things. The first time I ever buttoned my shirt, it was hard to do. I couldn't hardly do it. I've watched my son try and button his shirt, and sometimes he buttons it in the wrong hole. It takes a while for you to learn how to button your shirt. I had to use two hands and stick my tongue out and chew on it and do everything I could to get it done, you know, right the first time. But did you know that after a while, after I began to train my mind and make my body respond, I have gotten to where I can button my shirt with one hand, be talking, walking down the street, going somewhere else. I no longer have to focus in upon that the way I did. My mind has been programmed. You know, I can usually button my shirt and I don't even remember doing it. I can look down and tell that it has been buttoned. But I mean, it is such an automatic reflex. You can teach your mind to operate that way. The Lord gave that to us to be a blessing so that you don't have to sit there and spend 15 or 20 minutes every time you want to button your shirt or tie your shoes or do something like that, that you can just program yourself, teach yourself, and it'll automatically work. But also, that was meant for a blessing. But Satan has used it against us. Because before you got saved, you were taught or you were programmed how to operate in unbelief, how to believe for problems, how to operate in sorrow and discouragement and despair and depression and loneliness and hatred and strife. You were taught and your mind has been taught how to act that way, how to think that way, how to think negative, how to think unbelief, how to think discouragement and all these type of things. And even though now we are a new creature, and I no longer have anything dead on the inside of me. I've got the life of God living on the inside of me. My mind will continue to function and my body will continue to react the way it did before I got saved unless I begin to renew it and change it or reprogram it, just like you'd reprogram a computer. Well, the way you reprogram yourself is through the Word of God. You take God's Word and you begin to sit there and when your body sits there and says, Oh, I'm discouraged. And you know, sometimes we've been taught this in the world system that you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. How many of you ever said that expression? You say, well, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. And you wake up and you may not feel exactly right or maybe you're still tired or something. Anyway, you start saying, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And you just give the whole day over to the devil and let him have it and experience a bad day and you don't understand why. Why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? Or sometimes you may sit there and say, oh, Blue Monday. And you start telling, everybody says, how you doing? Oh, as good as you can for Monday. And you just give Monday over to the devil and let it be the devil's day and just sit there and experience defeat. Why? Not because you have to. You've got the life of God on the inside of you. You should be rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But your old man was taught to hate Mondays. 
Your old man was taught that sometimes you just get up on the wrong side of the bed and that you don't feel good, and so you accept it, you think it, you start speaking it, you start acting it, and you're going to get it. And you're going to be defeated, and you're going to be discouraged, and you're going to be sad, and you aren't going to be joyful, and you wonder, well, why? If I've got the life of God on me, why? Aren't I experiencing it? It's because you've not ever changed your thinking. You're still acting like an old man. You're still acting like a person that doesn't have the life of God on the inside of it. First of all, you need to see the truth that the Bible says from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Now that is the fruit of the Spirit within you, and it is there continually, 100% of the time, 24 hours a day. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is flowing through you. It is there. But you've got to believe that it's there. And I don't care if your body feels joyful or not. What does that have to do with anything? Satan can affect your emotions. Satan can make you feel discouraged. But the Bible says that your spirit is rejoicing, that it has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of these things. So I've learned to do this. When I feel discouraged, when I wake up and I'm tired, and I'm just feeling all like, man, how am I ever going to make it? I just tell my body, I say, Body, I don't care what you feel. I'm going by my spiritual man. I'm going to worship God in spirit today. I'm going to let my spirit dominate, not my physical body, because my spirit's the part of me that has the life of God. And then I'll go back and see what the spirit says. I'll look in the Bible and I'll see that I have joy unspeakable and full of glory, that I have the fruit of love, joy, and peace. And I'm going to say, I'm going to rejoice in God today. I don't care what I feel like. And if my mind's telling me, says, oh, it's Blue Monday, I sit there and say, who cares about Blue Monday? Every day is a glorious day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Even Monday, I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I'll tell my mind that you're a liar. And I'll reprogram it and I'll say, mind, you're going to obey what the Spirit of God says, not what everybody else says and what the devil's told you. You're going to obey the Word of God. And when I do that, praise God, my body gets in line and I begin to experience joy and victory and power. I was up last night, uh, I was preaching and ministering, and we stayed, had a place until after 2 o'clock, sharing and testifying. It was 3 o'clock when I got home, and I got up at 7 o'clock. The phone started ringing, and the kids got up. And I honestly didn't feel like doing much of anything today, but I wanted to make this tape. I wanted to minister this. And I just got up and I told my body, I said, you're a liar. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. And I said, that's what God's Word says. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, so I'm believing right now he's quickening my mortal body. And I'm going to have joy, I'm going to have peace, I'm going to have strength. Amen. And it's working. I'm doing great. I feel fine. Because I've learned to go by what happened in my spirit, not by what has happened in my physical man. Praise God. You've got to begin to learn to let the spiritual man, the saved part of you, dominate your life. You must put the Spirit of God preeminent and let it be the dominant factor in your life before you receive victory. Praise God. And this spirit, what I wanted to establish in this first part on this is that our spirit has been made righteous. It is holy. It is pure. Amen. Now, I want to answer some questions about this because I know that there are many people listening that would sit there and say, Now, wait a minute. What about the Scripture that there is none righteous? No, not one. That we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
and quote other scriptures along those same lines. They say, what about that? Now, that's in direct opposition to what you're saying. No, it's not in direct opposition. I'd like to answer that and share it. From Romans chapter 3. Now, here's a scripture that when I first heard this, I had these same questions. Don't anybody listening to me get upset and say, man, you're just far out in left field or or say that you're having a hard time receiving it. I had a, a very hard time receiving the very things I'm telling you because I was brought up in fundamental Christianity, so-called fundamental. And I was had it ground into me that I was ungodly, that in sin did my mother conceive me, that I was undone, and I knew above everything else that I wasn't worthy for God to spit on me. And man, when somebody came around and started saying they'd been made righteous, I just really expected lightning to come down out of the sky and kill them because I thought that was blasphemy. I wouldn't have been surprised to hear some of those people eating with worms the way Herod was. But I began to get in and study it, and the Lord showed me some things. And if you're having trouble accepting what we're talking about, I'll share some scriptures with you right here that will really answer a lot of questions. Out of Romans chapter 3, this is talking about um, that we are all included under sin, that there is none righteous. No, not one. And it goes on down in verse 23, and it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, that's true. But that is not a complete sentence. You've got to be able to read the verse behind that. And it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on even further. But the point that he's making, he's not trying to say that all of us even after you're saved, are, have, are sin and come short of the glory of God. He's talking about before we get saved, we have all sinned, come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat, and he has justified us all freely the same way. He was writing to Jews and telling them that there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. We were all sinners. didn't matter whether one was a religious sinner or an unreligious sinner. You're all sinners, and you've all been saved by the same grace. But you see, we were sinners, and we were coming short of the glory of God. But the next verse says that we have been justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and tell Him, say, Lord, I'm not righteous. There's no, none righteous in me, none at all. That I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When you confess that and then say, Lord, I believe you that you saved me. Well, the Bible says that you become a new creature. Old things pass away. That undone part of you passes away. And you are justified freely through His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you are no longer unrighteous, even though there are an abundance of Scripture that says there is none righteous, no, not one. That's talking about in yourself, in your own works. You are not righteous. Even after you get saved, if you are going to trust in what you can do through your own strength and through your own power, there is no righteousness in it. There are two types of righteousness. There is a self-righteousness that is according to your own works and your own holiness, and then there is the righteousness of God. Praise the Lord. Now look in Romans chapter 10. Here's a verse that will explain that and verify it. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, Paul was speaking to the Jews again, and he said, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now Paul right there said there's two different types of righteousness. A righteousness which is of God or God's righteousness, and then a righteousness which was of their own, or in other words, through their own works. 
And it's true that there is none righteous, no, not one. Your own righteousness is filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. And Paul again says something further about this over in Philippians chapter 3. He said, Yea, Dallas, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Again, he said there was his own righteousness, and then there was the righteousness of God. I agree that in our own righteousness there is none righteous, no, not one. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and get a born-again spirit, you are no longer operating under your own righteousness. You have been made in your spirit the righteousness of God. That's according to that scripture we started off with, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Ephesians 4.24. It says that our new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. And also it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Jesus is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So sure, in your own righteousness there is no good thing. But we are not operating in our own righteousness once you get born again. I'm not saying that I'm righteousness because I'm living up to it because of my own righteous works. I'm saying it because I have put my faith in Jesus. I believe that what he said he'd do, he's done, that my new man is created in righteousness and true holiness, and I'm sitting here saying that I'm righteous today because of Jesus and because of what he has done, because of the work of regeneration that has happened in my heart, not because of me. Praise God. Now that ought to answer you questions about those scriptures that there is none righteous, no, not one. Sure, in our own works there is none righteous, but in Christ Jesus, He is righteous and He has imparted His righteousness unto me. Now if you're still having trouble with this, now this is the clincher for me. This is what finally broke open this truth about being made the righteousness of God to me. From Romans chapter 5. It says, and this is really powerful the way that it's put here in the scripture. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Now that's speaking of Adam. Through Adam sin entered into the world and death became a part of the human race because of what Adam did. And so, by, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Skip down to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, this still, won't, you won't necessarily be able to understand all the reasons why God did it, but this does make it clear that in the same way as you accepted the fact that you were born a sinner, and that you were born in trespasses and sin, and that you were born ungodly and headed to hell. It says in verse 18 that in the same way that that judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, that means in the exact same way by the righteousness of one, speaking through the righteousness of Jesus, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. He's talking about the free gift of righteousness. The next verse verifies this, for it says in verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, speaking of through Adam's disobedience we all became sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Praise God. 
And that right there says that even though I can't understand it, how God could look at me and say that I'm righteous with some of the stupid things I do. I have to accept it because in the same way as I accepted that I was a sinner, that I was born in sin, whether I was good, bad, or indifferent, religious, or whatever, I was born a sinner separated from God. In the same way, when I get born again, I am born the righteousness of God. Now, an example of what we're talking about is in Genesis, the first chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he said that God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And the light he called day, and the darkness he called night. Now when God, first of all, there was all darkness over the earth. Then God said, Let there be light. When he said that, light came in. And here was light and darkness side by side. It says in the next verse that he had to divide them and separate them. They were side by side, but it said that God saw the light, that it was good. He didn't behold the darkness. He saw the light, that it was good. In other words, he just chose to look upon the light, and he didn't behold the darkness. Well, that's the way it is when we get saved. Even though there may still be problems in your physical body, God does not re deal with us according to our sins, nor reward us according to our iniquities. That's a scripture from Psalms chapter 103. If God should mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? That's another scripture out of Psalms. God does not deal with us according to our sins. Now, some people like to teach that and preach it, and they harp on it and say, if you don't do this, this, and this, and this, and this, God's against you. God's going to burn your barley fields. God's judgment, all these kind of things. And they may say that, and they may feel smug because they've quit smoking and cussing and chewing and going with those that do, and they wear a long dress, and they don't wear makeup, and their hair's piled up a certain way, and all these other type of things. But I guarantee you, I don't care how much those people have purified themselves from some of the things, they still fall short of the perfect mark of God. Even Paul, after so many years, says, I still don't count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, he was still pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I don't care who you are. You may be better than somebody else, and you may have purified yourself. You may be holy and pure in the eyes of some, but you aren't perfect yet in your physical works. And if you're going to trust in your physical works, God demands perfection. If you're going to come and get something according to who you are and how holy you've lived, I don't care if you're a thousand times better than I am, you're still short of the glory of God and you won't be able to receive anything. If you get what you deserve in your physical works, you're going to get hell and you're going to get damnation because that's what we deserve. The Bible says in James chapter 2 that if any man offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If a man has not committed murder and yet if he steals, he has become a transgressor of the law and is guilty of all and is convinced of all. That means that God looks at his law like a plate glass window. You could throw a boulder through that plate glass window and break it or you could shoot a little BB through it and break it. Doesn't matter how big the break is, it's all one piece and the whole thing would have to be replaced. Now you may be living better than somebody, but you aren't sinless yet. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if any man says that he has not sinned, he's a liar and he makes God a liar and the truth isn't in him. So it doesn't matter who you are, you're still having mistakes, you're still falling short of the glory of God. And if you're trusting in your own righteousness and in your own holiness, you are not going to get anything from God. 
But if you'll trust in your spiritual righteousness and who you've been made in Christ Jesus, it'll work. That's the reason I pray in the name of Jesus. I don't pray in the name of Andrew Womack. Praise God. I wouldn't get anything if I prayed in the name of Andrew Womack. If I said, Lord, because of who I am and because I've lived holy today and because I've fasted and prayed and done these things and I've been out knocking on doors and faithful to preach your word, I'm believing you to heal me. I wouldn't get a thing. But if I come and say, in the name of Jesus, because I have been made the righteousness of God when I accepted Jesus, because of who Jesus is and because of who Jesus has made me, in the name of Jesus, I command my healing to come. Praise God, that works. And that will work every, every time. So you need to recognize that. We were sharing from Romans chapter 5 that in the same way as you recognize that you are born a sinner, when you get born again, you are born the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Boy, that is powerful, powerful. Praise the Lord Jesus. Let's look in Philip, uh, excuse me, Philemon verse 6. Philemon verse 6. It says, he's, pray, he's praying a prayer for Philemon. Paul is praying a prayer for Philemon. And he, he starts, and in verse 6, he, he is praying and saying that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And that is the way that Paul said that the communication of our faith would become effectual. The, what that's saying simply is this. When it talks about communication, communication means the transmitting. Like I'm communicating with you right now. I'm speaking words out of my mouth. I'm communicating with you. I am releasing what God has been teaching me in my spirit. I'm speaking it in words. I'm communicating it unto you. I am transmitting it from one place to the other. So the transmission or the release of our faith will become effectual. The word effectual simply means that it's going to start working. How many of you have prayed and tried to believe for something and have tried to release your faith and it just isn't effectual? It isn't working. It isn't producing the way that it should. Well, the Bible says the way that it's going to become effectual is by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, that's what the Scripture says. This is completely contrary to the way most of us have been taught in religion. Most of us have been taught to go around and to beat ourselves down and to say, Oh, Lord, we're so undone and we're so unrighteous and we're so unworthy to stand before you today. And, Lord, I know that I don't deserve anything of you. And, Lord, I know that I can't, I can't be worthy today to receive anything. And we moan and groan and bawl and squall. And we've been taught that that's religious and that that's a godly way to approach it, but it's not. The Bible says that the communication of your faith will become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The way you're supposed to be releasing the power is to sit there and say, Father, I think... You might sit there and say, Father, I know that in myself there's no good thing. That's Romans chapter 7. But then turn it around, and the Bible says to keep your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Jesus is the one who gave you your faith. He started it. He's going to finish it. And you must keep your eyes stayed on Jesus. There's no good thing in you. If you have your attention focused upon yourself, you're going to be full of yourself. And there's no faith in yourself. You need to get your eyes off of who you aren't and how unworthy you are and how sorry and how rotten you are and how all of these kind of things and begin to see who you are in Christ Jesus and begin to sit there and say, Father, I don't feel it, but I know your word says that my spirit's been created in righteousness and true holiness. I know that I can have boldness. Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous shall be bold as a lion. 
And so you need to come boldly before the throne of grace. And you need to say, Father, I praise you that I can come boldly. Start seeing who you are. Start seeing how Jesus has changed you and made you a new creature. Get excited in that. And you know what it'll do? It'll release faith on the inside of you. Love will well up. And Galatians 5, 6 says that faith works by love. You'll begin to love the Lord for how could he love me? How could God love somebody like me? And then that love will begin to rise up. When it does, faith will begin to rise up. The communication of your faith will begin to become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's where the church has been messing up. That's where we've missed it so much is because so much of our religion today is focusing our attention upon ourselves. Bless God, there is no victory. There is no power in your physical, carnal self, only in your new born-again man. You need to be focusing your attention upon who you are in Christ Jesus, what God has done for you, the new person that he's made you. That's what's going to release power. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says that the light of the body is the eye. If your eye therefore be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. It's simply saying that what you focus your attention upon is what you're going to be full of. If you sit around all day long, I don't care how religious it sounds or how much you've been taught this way. I know this is countering a lot of religious tradition and doctrine, but it needs to be countered. It hasn't worked that good, has it? Got you saved and stuck. <laughs> Got you into misery. Sitting there, most Christians discouraged and defeated and beat down. Going out and telling somebody, oh, you need to be a Christian. It's such a glorious life. You'll have joy and victory and power. And as they say it, they're sitting there with the tears running down their cheek. And they're defeated and discouraged. And their home's falling apart. They're poor. They don't have their needs met. They aren't able to receive healing. They aren't prosperous. They aren't this. They aren't that. And the world's looking at them and saying, well, boy, if you what you got better than what I got. I don't want any part of it. The reason for it is because most Christians have focused their attention upon themselves. What they focus their attention upon is what they're full of. They're full of how little and how ungodly and how sorry and no good they are. Well, bless God, acknowledge that. True, in yourself there's no good thing. Don't get puffed up. But at the same time, do not ignore what God has done in you. Focus your attention upon that. Let me share a little truth with you about humility. Humility is preached a lot, and people think that it's proud, that you're self-centered, that you're egotistical if you're going around saying that you've been made the righteousness of God. Don't you realize that you're supposed to be humble? Humility is simply being obedient to God, not exalting yourself above or below the place that God puts you. If you look humility up in the dictionary, it'll just simply say a true acknowledgement of one's own accomplishments or ability or something like that. Well, it is, it is pride to exalt yourself above what you are, and that's true. But it is also pride to debase yourself below what you are. Humility is just being what you're supposed to be. Jesus was not proudful, prideful when he said that he was the Son of God, when he said that before Abraham was, I am. Those people thought he was prideful. They thought he was blaspheming God, but he was simply speaking the truth. He wasn't exalting himself above what he was supposed to. That was the truth. And it's the same thing, that through Jesus I've been made a joint heir with him, and I'm not prideful to sit here and say that I'm the righteousness of God. I'm just speaking the truth. That's what God's Word says. We've given an abundance of scriptures about it. And that's just simply speaking the truth. That's being honest. 
Amen? Praise God. And we need to recognize that. It is not humility to go beating yourself down. People get up and say, Oh, you all just pray for me as I try to sing this song or something. And you know that they think that they got the best voice that ever was. That's not humility. That's egotism. They're sitting there pointing to themselves, trying to give people the impression that they're humble. They go around, you know, with the badge on about, I'm humble. <laughs> well, they just blew any humility they have. Well, lots of times it's the same thing. But all of these people that are professing to be humble, they go around all the time and, and are beating themselves down. Oh, I know that in me there's no good thing. Well, that's all they're doing is drawing attention to themselves. When I first started ministering, I made that same mistake. I'd go up and I'd apologize to the people and I'd say, Now, look, I don't want you all to see me. I want you to see Jesus. I know that in me there's no good thing. If any of the good thing comes, it's got to be Jesus. And I don't want you to look to me. Now, don't look at me. Don't look at me. And I'd spend the whole time talking about don't look at me, focusing all of their attention on me while I was telling them not to look at me. Well, that's not it. I finally got to the point where I don't do that anymore. I just, man, take off and start talking about Jesus, amen. And that's really less pride involved in that than to sit there and act humble and beat yourself down and saying, oh, God, have mercy on us. We're so ungodly today. Humility is just simply recognizing your position in the Lord and doing it. Jesus was humble when he made a cat of nine tails and drove the money changers out of the temple. That's true humility. That's what God wanted him to do. That's what he saw his father doing. He was, humil he was humble. He was operating in humility when he did that. He was in submission to God's word. Praise God. He was meek and lowly of heart, what the Bible says, and he was still meek and lowly of heart when he drove the money changers out of the temple. Now, praise God, if God says that you're the righteousness of God, if he told you to get up and confess and acknowledge the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus, if that's what it says in Philemon verse 6, and if you come along and say, Oh, Lord, there's just no good thing in me. Well, it may sound humble, and that may be the way you're taught, but it is not scriptural. It is not godly. It is ungodly to go around and say something contrary to what God's Word says. If you're going to say that in your flesh there's no good thing, all right, but you turn around and you counter it and start operating in not in your flesh but in your spirit, and you start saying who you are in Christ Jesus, start recognizing that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Praise God. Praise God. When I first started believing God for healing, for deliverances, and for seeing miracles come to pass, this was my basic problem that I was brought up under condemnation. And I was taught against all of this. And I began to I acknowledge that God could heal. I saw it in the Word. I knew that it could happen. And I wanted it to happen through me. But my problem was I'd sit there and say, Oh, Lord, I know I'm just not worthy enough. Oh, I'm just not good enough. I just haven't done this enough. How could I ever believe for somebody to be healed or raised from the dead or see a miracle happen? And my first thought was, if somebody would have asked me to pray for them, I would have immediately looked to myself and I would have said, you haven't done this. Oh, you aren't holy enough. You aren't good enough. You made this mistake. You've done this wrong. You've done that wrong. Well, now that's pride right there, is having me, self, above God. But when I began to see about who I was in Christ Jesus, I began to focus my attention on that. I began to sit there and meditate the Word and says, The Bible gave me a promise that if I'm a believer, I shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Praise the Lord. He that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. John 14, 12. And I began to meditate on those scriptures, and I began to see who I was in Christ Jesus. And I began to get to the point that, man, I got so strong like I knew greater was he that's on the inside of me than he that's in the world. Greater is the healing of Jesus inside of me than the sickness that's in the world. 
And I began to get so confident of it that I was just like, sickness, come on. I dare somebody sick to come along. And then when they came and asked me for prayer, instead of looking to myself, I looked at Jesus and I said, praise God, this is an opportunity for Jesus to flow through me. It's an opportunity for me to become a joint heir and to release the healing, the deliverance, the power of God. And did you know miracles begin to happen? The communication of my faith began to become effectual as I acknowledged the good things that were in me in Christ Jesus. And praise God, it's going to be the same with you. You must get rid of who you are. You've got to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now somebody will say, now wait a minute, if I don't sit there and beat myself down and, and realize how ungodly I am and how unworthy and how prone to sin I am, if I don't recognize these things and continually remind myself of it, I'm going to go out and start living in sin. There won't be any restraint on me. What's going to hold me in check? Well, Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. And then it goes on and says, If ye walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you, through the Spirit, stay your mind on who you are in Christ Jesus, even though you aren't sitting there continually reminding yourself about how ungodly and how unworthy you are, you'll wind up living a holier life than if you focus your attention on who you are not. Again, when you're thinking about all of your mistakes and your ungodliness, there's no faith involved in that. And the Bible says this is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. When we get our eyes off of that and put it on Jesus, faith will rise up on the inside of us. The Bible says that when you're operating in the Spirit, the only thing that can be produced, the only fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance, according to Galatians 5.22. Against such there is no law. It's impossible for you to go out and live in sin operating in the Holy Ghost, thinking about who you are in Christ Jesus. If you've truly got your mind stayed upon it, it'll produce a holier life within you. 1 John chapter 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then in the third verse, he says an amazing thing. He says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Praise God. That's talking about if you focus your attention upon the blessed hope, the fact that we are as Jesus is, and that we are going to be changed into his likeness and into his image when he comes again. If you focus your attention upon this, the Bible says that you will purify yourself even as he is pure. And I can testify in my own life that I have lived a holier life, a thousand times holier life, freer from sin and from other things when I begin to recognize what Jesus had done for me. When I begin to focus my attention upon him and see his love for me, love has motivated me more than all of the condemnation ever could. Paul said the same thing. Paul said it's the love of Christ that constrains us. Right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the scripture that we started with, he said that's the way he constrained himself was through love. The love of Christ constrains me. Praise the Lord. And I can say that in my own life, that love is a greater motivating force than condemnation. I was brought up in a church that taught that, man, you had to go witness, 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 witness. And out of condemnation or out of a feeling of unworthiness or, or doom, if I didn't do it, I started witnessing. And I started a special youth night visitation at our church, and we supposedly saw some people touch through it. But did you know the whole time I was doing that, my attitude when I went up to the doors and knocked on the doors was, Oh, Lord, I pray that nobody will be there. <laughs> or, Lord, you know, just let us put in a good word for the church and leave or something. I was 
torn up. I was tied in knots. I didn't have any liberty and freedom. I just forced myself to do it, and I saw very little results come out of it. Also, every time I left a gas station or a 7-Eleven or anything like that, I was condemned because I didn't witness to those people. And I'd go out and sometimes just sit in the car and beat myself down. Andy, how come you won't witness? How come you won't do this? That was because I was being motivated by condemnation or looking at who I'm not. And I'd, sit, I'd continually sit there and say, Andy, you sorry, no good, nothing, and beat myself down. But did you know when I began to see who I was in Christ Jesus, I had a tremendous experience happen in my life. I saw the glory of God. I saw that Jesus had forgiven me, that I was clean. And did you know when that happened? Immediately, praise God, within a week's time, I was knocking a hundred doors a day, praying and saying, God, let them be home. Let me tell them what you've done for me. And I got to the point where I'd go into service stations and I couldn't help but testify. I witnessed everything that moved. You couldn't shut me up. Boy, I guarantee you my life transformed overnight. I got delivered and set free and victory and power began to flow through me. I lived a holier life. I fulfilled more of the Word of God because I was delivered from myself. And praise God, that is a big part of the gospel is learning that you have been delivered from yourself. Yes, you were ungodly. Yes, you were undone. In your physical body, you still may be fulfilling some of those things. But in your spirit, you're a brand new creation. And if you will focus your attention upon it, then you will begin to purify yourself. The communication of your faith will begin to become effectual. And the Bible says this is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The flesh, the things of the flesh and of the devil in your life will begin to be overcome if you'll begin to recognize that greater is he that's on the inside of you than he that's in the world. If you'll focus your attention upon Jesus, you'll see yourself in the proper light. When Peter and all of the disciples were fishing and the resurrected Lord was standing on the seashore and he said to them, you know, to cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they did and then they took in a great abundance of fish it said that Peter, when he knew that it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat unto himself for he was naked and threw himself into the sea. And there's another instance of the same thing happened. And Peter said, Lord, depart from me, from me for I'm a sinful man. How did he become aware of all of those things wrong in his life? Not through condemnation, but through the glory of God, to see the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Know ye not that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? And I guarantee you, if you'll focus your mind upon who Jesus is and what he's done for you, how he's changed you and made you a new person, it won't loosen you to go out and live in sin. It will convict you. The love of God will rise up on the inside of you and constrain you, and you'll start living a holier life than you ever could by operating in all of that condemnation. If you'll remember another example, I believe it's in the 14th chapter of Matthew where Peter walked on the water. As long as he looked at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, of our faith, he was walking on the water. But when he looked off of Jesus and looked at the elements round about him, he began to sink. And Jesus lifted him up and he says, Peter, wherefore did you doubt? Well, now what did Peter doubt? Did he doubt that you could walk on water? No, he had already done that. Did he doubt that, that Jesus... Had power to do it? No, because he could look right at Jesus and see that Jesus was standing on the water. That wasn't a problem. What he doubted was that he was able to do it. He associated himself back with the way he'd been taught all of his life, and he got to saying, man, who am I to be defined nature? Who am I to be standing on water? Who am I to be standing against the waves and against the sea and the wind? 
And when he got his eyes on himself, he began to sink. But the Lord lifted him back up. And it's the exact same thing. This is what's happened with a lot of Christians. They start off. The reason you had joy when you were first saved and you were excited is because the people that told you about salvation told you that if you get saved, man, Jesus will make you clean. You can enter into fellowship. You can have no more, nothing in between you and God. And you got all excited and you believed it. You asked for forgiveness and you got excited believing that you, you were, had your attention focused on what God had done. You had your attention focused that you were clean, that you were pure, and it produced joy unspeakable and full of glory. But after you go along for a while and after you make a few mistakes, most people are not established in what God's Word says about our spirit being made righteous. And when they see something done wrong in their body, when they see that they've committed a sin or fallen back into some habit or something, they sit there and they don't understand that their spirit is still righteous. And they get to feeling, oh, like I'm unrighteous. They put themselves back under the same bondage they were under before they got saved, feeling separated from God. And they begin to look at themselves. They begin to say, oh, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And they lose the joy and they get discouraged and say, what happened? How come it turned sour? What went wrong? Well, it's a simple fact that you started off looking at Jesus and seeing what he had done, but then you got to looking at yourself and, and you stopped the power of God because you weren't any longer receiving the faith from Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Praise God. We've got to begin to get to the point where we forget ourselves. That's true humility, is forgetting yourselves. A person that gets up every morning and says, Oh, Lord, I've got to die to myself. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And they focus all their attention talking about themselves. And, Oh, Lord, I know that if I do this and if I do that, that this, you know, well, that's just, that's not humility. True humility is being able to get up and say, Lord, praise you for what you have done. Just even forget yourself and just immediately zero in on the Lord and begin to worship God for who he is and what he has done in your life. That's true humility. Let me answer this question about dying to yourself. There is a truth that you need to bring your own desires and your own wishes and lust and things like that under the control of the Spirit. But for instance, the, the only term in the Bible where it uses the terminology that I die daily is uh, Paul said that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll read this scripture to you and I believe it will enlighten you on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, speaking, he was talking about people who didn't believe that there was a resurrection of the dead and he was coming down hard on them. And he said in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of man I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What he's saying there is he's talking about the physical resurrection of our bodies, not talking about a dying to yourself. He was talking about resurrection of the bodies, and he's simply saying, man, I've been fighting with beasts at Ephesus. I've been stoned and left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. I've done all of these things. I face death daily. I die daily. And he says, what am I doing all of this for if there's no resurrection of the dead? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He's not talking about the the teaching that has gone forth about dying to ourselves daily. It says in Galatians chapter 5, right after it lists the fruit of the Spirit as being love, joy, peace, all of these type of things, it says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. It's already done. 
When you come to Jesus, you if you got saved in the right way, you did submit your flesh and your body and everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are dead to sin. Now, some of you may not feel dead to sin. You may say, oh, but man, you just don't know. Man, I run, my lust run wild. I have to continually beat myself down. It's because you've not renewed your mind. Your body is still acting the way it was taught before, but in your spirit, you are dead to those lusts. If you would just get in the Word, if you'd begin to focus your attention on who you are in Christ Jesus, that life would come flowing through you, and you'd be renewed. Those habits would begin to fall by the wayside. I can testify in my own life. I've never... I've never said a cuss word. I've never taken a drink in my life. I've never done any of the things, smoked a cigarette or done any of that stuff. But I had things in my life that I was convicted about. Like, for instance, I used to watch a bunch of TV and I heard, uh, well, I never heard anybody preach against it, but when I saw who I was in Christ Jesus, when I had an experience in my life with the Lord, did you know that for four months I never watched one lick of TV? Not because somebody told me not to do it. Not because I had to force myself and get up every day and say, Oh, I'm going to die to the lust of this flesh. I'm not going to watch this TV. I'm not going to waste my life away with it. No, I didn't do that. I just was so full of Jesus. And I was so full of what, I was, what was happening that I, I didn't even think about it. It was four months before I even thought about the fact that I had been without a TV. I didn't want it. I quit listening to the radio and all that old country and western junk that I used to listen to. I quit listening to them singing about running around and somebody going out with somebody else's wife because I, that just didn't appeal to me anymore. I was a new creature. Praise God. My life completely transformed. I had a horse that I used to ride that horse at least four hours a day. And did you know that when I got turned on to the Lord, I, had to wind, I just sold that horse because I didn't have time for it. I was so full of the Lord, I didn't ever make it out there. It wasn't even profitable to me anymore to keep that horse. Wasn't a thing wrong with the horse. But I'm saying I got so full of the Lord that these other things were just pushed out of the way. And that is a superior way to this teaching that we've heard about dying to self. You get alive unto God and you don't have to worry about dying to self. It's already happened in our spirit and the body will be renewed to it. If you will only submit it to the Spirit and only have your body do the things that are going on in your spirit, well, then I promise you that the lust of the flesh will not be fulfilled in you. What most of us have been taught and brought up under is actually a system of condemnation. Let me share this scripture with you from over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He's comparing the Old Testament covenant with the New Covenant that we are under the New Testament. And he said in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, he says, Who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The Old Testament law, the part that told you that you were unrighteous, that you were undone, the part that told you everything you was wrong about, the law was not given to produce life. It was given to condemn you. It was given to beat you down and let you see that you were unrighteous and no good. The reason God did that was so that you would not be deceived and get into living your own life and feeling self-righteous and forget God. God's plan was not complete yet. Salvation had not come. Faith was not completely revealed. And until it came, this is according to Galatians chapter 3, we were shut up 
through the law unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. In other words, everywhere you turned, if you started to go one direction, the law was right there to condemn you and tell you that you were wrong and you'd stop. You'd head in another direction, the law would condemn you. You'd head in another direction, the law would condemn you. It just completely enclosed you and surrounded you so that you had to just completely stop, recognize that there was nothing you could do to produce your own righteousness or right standing with God, and it made you just throw yourself on the mercy of God. Look up. That's the only direction you could go. And that, was, that served a purpose. But after faith has come, Galatians 3 says we are no longer under that law. We no longer have to be hemmed up like that. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, God gives you the Spirit on the inside and no longer does He want you to be condemned. He wants you to be free to go and follow the leadership of the Spirit within you. And this is what it's saying, that the Old Testament letter was meant to kill, but the New Testament Spirit is meant to give life unto you. And most Christians are still living under the old covenant, still beating themselves down, still using the law to constrain them instead of using the born-again spirit within to constrain them. Verse 7 says, But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how much shall, I mean, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Praise God. Right there is the same thing we've been talking about. Righteousness, right standing with God. The Old Testament law was a ministry to, to show you how you were not in right standing with God, to show you how you had sinned and come short of the glory of God. The New Testament is to show you that through, through faith, and through accepting the grace that God has for you, you are in right standing with God, that you are not short of the glory of God, that you've been created in righteousness and true holiness. That's the gospel. And most Christians have been trying to live under an Old Testament, under an Old Covenant, with the New Covenant living on the inside of them. They're opposed one to the other. The book of Hebrews says that the Old Covenant is decayed and old and it's ready to vanish away. We're supposed to be living under a New Covenant, a better covenant established upon better promises. Praise God. And you need to start learning that. The word condemnation is just real simply, a simple way to understand the word condemnation is like, for instance, if the city was to go out and condemn a building. And they say that this building is no longer fit for use. It is no good for anything. Tear it down. That's condemning a building. Well, basically, that's what Satan has tried to do to us. He's condemned us. Satan has come along and tried to enforce the Old Testament law where God did condemn us. And this is what the Scripture is saying. He did it. God was showing us that you were unfit for use. Cry out for the mercy of God. But after you cried out for the mercy of God, you come under a New Testament and God doesn't want you to feel unfit for use anymore. He wants you to feel like you've been made the righteousness of God, like that you've been changed. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And praise God, there is no condemnation. There is no reason you ought to feel unfit or unworthy or undone. You are not unworthy. You are not inferior. If you think that you're the sorriest Christian that ever lived, well, I don't care. If you've got the Spirit of Christ living on the inside of you, he, that's he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. If you're the puniest Christian that ever lived, you still got more power than all of the demons out of hell and all hell put together if you'd believe it, if you'd stand on it and realize who you are in Christ Jesus. But Satan has come and deceived us and has got you to thinking that, oh, I'm so undone, and oh, Lord, I can't do this. And you're getting exactly what you're believing for, exactly what you're saying out of your mouth. You need to go to saying what God's Word says, not because of how you feel, 
But because God's Word says it, you need to get this attitude that I'm a new creature. And Satan, I'm not going to allow you to steal from me anymore. I'm not going to allow you to dominate my life with those evil habits, with that smoking and with the cussing and stuff like this. I'm a new creature. Bless God, I've been delivered from that bondage and I'm renewing my mind. And if you begin to sit there and start focusing your attention upon what Jesus says about you, about who you are in Christ Jesus, the power of God would begin to flow, the life would begin to flow through you, and you'd find yourself getting delivered from those things. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And I exhort you today that you need to get into God's Word and find out who you are and begin to look on it. You need to begin to see that you're the righteousness of God, that you have certain rights or rights standing. You've got certain privileges with God. And don't let Satan steal it from you. God has given you a bill of rights. You have certain things that are legally yours. We call them righteousness or right standings with God. And God gave them to us for our freedom so that we don't have to be under the dominion of the devil. But there's a similar comparison here between, say, for instance, the righteousness of God and the Bill of Rights that we have under the United States Constitution. We've got certain rights that you can't be discriminated, discriminated against because of rex, I mean race, sex, or creed. Those things you cannot be discriminated against. It's a Bill of Rights. But also involved in freedom, there's responsibility. You have to press your rights. If you don't press charges against somebody who is trying to discriminate against you, the very freedom that you have also would protect the person who is discriminating against you. In other words, what I'm saying is, it's like, say, for instance, if somebody steals from you, you have to go to the police station and press charges. If you don't press charges, the police, the government, cannot punish that man if you refuse to press charges. You've got certain rights, but you've got to demand those rights. And freedom carries with it responsibility. It's the same thing with the Lord. We've got righteousness, right standing. We have things. Man, the devil can't make me sick. The devil can't steal from me. That's not right. I've got rights about it. He can't do those things to me. It isn't legal. It isn't fair. The only way he can do it is if I allow it because I don't know what's rightfully mine. Did you know when I got drafted and I went into the army, Boy, they harassed us and did things to us when I was in basic training and I thought I'd never let people do to me. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know what they could do and what they couldn't do. Boy, they harassed us and did things. And did you know as I went on in the Army after I'd spent 19 months in the Army and been to Vietnam and some other things, I learned that they couldn't do certain things to me and I began to stand on some of my rights. And if I was to go back through basic training right now, I guarantee you they wouldn't get away with doing some of the things to me now that they did back then because I know what my rights are. But back then I submitted to everything. Boy, I did whatever they told me to do because I didn't know any better. I thought they could do anything to you they wanted to. Well, it's the same thing with Christians. We haven't realized our rights and privileges with God and because of it, Satan has deceived you. He's gotten you to think that you're weak and that you're puny and that you're inferior to him, that Satan's power is superior to the power that you have. You have not been aware of the power that lives on the inside of you. But bless God, it is superior to the whole Satan system. You have enough power to blow the devil plumb out of the tub. Hallelujah. And we need to learn it. We, begin, we need to begin to see who we are in Christ Jesus and begin to get bold with it. Praise the Lord. Did you know I remember a woman one time telling me about a vision that she had and the vision was simply that there was her and a lot of other people in the room and they were having some kind of a party. It was a church party. They were all church people in the room. 
And all of a sudden, the front door was bust open. It was kicked open. And here came the devil in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork and pointed tail, the whole bit, you know, the way people have imagined the devil. And he came running in there. And boy, when he did, people began to scream and holler. And some ran out the door, some jumped out windows, got under chairs. This lady that had the vision, she went and she got in a closet. And she was hiding in the closet. And outside she could hear all kinds of screaming and yelling and things banging against the wall and all kinds of things going on. And her imagination was just going wild about what the devil doing. And she could hear it getting closer and closer. And finally she could hear him. And the devil came and stood right in front of that door. And she was just about ready to uh, pass out because she was so scared. And she could hear him breathing and growling and moaning and doing all kinds of things. Finally the door flung open and there he was standing looking her right in the face. And she looked at him and he began to laugh. And she couldn't understand it. She looked at him and finally she said, What's the matter? And he said, You silly Christians. And he turned around and his hands were tied behind his back. And he says, I can't do a thing. He says, my hands have been tied. Jesus destroyed me. But you, all I've got to do is come in and say, you Christians, he says, you hurt yourself. You run and get away. He says, you're so stupid. And of course, God gave her that vision to teach her something. But the principle in that is true, that Satan, all he's doing is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan can't devour you unless you allow him to. He's just as a roaring lion. All of his teeth have been pulled. Amen? He's a toothless lion. He can't do anything except if you believe him, if you submit to him. But if you would get into God's Word and find out who you are and who Jesus has made you, praise God, you'd recognize that you're superior to that. We need to wake up to who we are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you may have problems. Yes, you aren't complete. No, you aren't perfect. But God isn't dealing with you according to who you are in your physical man. He's not dealing with you according to your self-righteousness. He's dealing with you according to who you are in Christ Jesus, according to His Son, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And praise God, you need to open that up. We've been redeemed today from ourselves, from our own limitations. We are a new creature. We are superior to every demonic force that can come against us, but you've got to begin to realize it. You must believe that he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. You need to get a superiority complex over the devil. Amen. Instead of an inferiority, you need to get a superiority complex, not in yourself. If you get it in yourself, you're going to get your ears pinned. But in who you are in Christ Jesus, in your born-again person, in your new self, that's the one that you need to get confident in, and you need to get bold with it, praise God, authoritative. And when you do, I promise you that the communication of your faith will begin to become effectual. Praise the Lord. We just barely touched on this this morning. There's a lot of other things that could be ministered about this. This is just a beginning. But I pray that it'll be of use to you. If you'll take this only as a springboard into getting into the Word yourself, I promise you that the truth of the Word of God, these truths that were shared can change your life. They can transform you and make you a brand new person. You'll begin to experience victory and power that you never knew possible before. Praise the Lord. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net 
And you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.